All right, well, welcome back. For some of you that Doug announced that he wasn't going to be here and that I would be uh, sharing with you this morning or today, uh, thank you for coming, not making me feel too bad. Um, we just didn't get the word. Exactly. In fact, Amos told me, you know, he's heard me share on this topic a couple of times. I'm just thankful that he came back and that... Uh, it's not exactly what I Well, no, I appreciate that. And, uh, but it's always a good reminder. I think, you know, as we, as we kicked off the, the new SWAT year, uh, Doug wanted to spend the first uh, two or three weeks really re-emphasizing uh, being kind of reacquainted with the five core values of SWAT, the, the values that undergird the ministry. And uh, of course, if you were here last week, you know that Doug spoke on uh, God's Word, that it is our starting point, it is our greatest weapon. In fact, uh, you guys don't care about my opinion or Doug's opinion. What you care about is what God has to say. And you only know what God has to say because He's revealed it in His Word. And so uh, we talked a little bit about prayer. Doug talked a little bit about prayer. Well, I made a lot of notes last week, and my, my handwriting is so bad, I have to go home and actually type out my own notes. Anybody else like that? I, I'm horrible with notes. So I type out almost everything. There were so many good passages of Scripture that Doug kind of shared from all, throughout the Psalm, Psalm 19, uh, Doug and I have been memorizing that, uh, that entire chapter. Now we've moved on to Psalm 119, and it's a great challenge. Uh, listen, if that's not a discipline in your life, let me encourage you. Doug was talking about one verse a day. That's aiming high. You know? If you don't feel like you can tackle one a day, how about one a week? And uh, my wife and I, Vic and I, uh, probably two or three years ago, we've always done our morning devotions together, but I decided I really wanted to spend more time really memorizing Scripture together. So it's kind of interesting. Our first hour of the morning is together, and we'll quote verses back to each other. I've actually started implementing that in some of the guys that I meet with one-on-one. Is, hey, I want to get together, and we're going to talk about God's Word. We're going to talk about how we apply it. But really, why don't we also begin by, talk, by, by memorizing verses of Scripture, and then we'll talk about how we apply that. And so, anyway, we talked about God's Word and prayer last week. Uh, we're going to talk this week about discipleship. And then if you're not totally, if I totally don't run you out today, come back next week and we'll talk about community. Something that we all experience here. Before I get started, uh, I do want to just make a quick mention. Mike, uh, we, uh, John Gilmore is one of our SWAT brothers, and uh, he introduced us to a guy named Nick Doty. Nick is the uh, camp director of Deerfoot Lodge, and it's, at, it's in New York and North Carolina, I believe. Yeah, it's about 40 miles southwest of Asheville. Yeah, we had, we had Nick on SWAT probably about nine months ago. And I'll tell you, just listening to Nick made me want to go back to camp. Uh, if you, you have kids that have ever gone to camp, it's like, man, you drop them off and go, man, I want to go to camp. This is a boys' camp, ages 9 to 16, I believe it is. It is not about sports. It is about <clears throat> boys becoming men. And uh, Harry, I to think about some of the trips you guys have done. Isn't it great to take your, your, your boys, your, your young men on things like that where they learn how to chop trees and shoot a gun and fire a bow and things like that. You know, it seems like we've lost that in our culture. And so that's a lot of what this is, the Deerfoot Lodge. It's not sweet accommodations, by the way. And so one of the things that John had mentioned to me, and I think I'd like for Mike if you want to speak about it, is they want to get a group of guys, 10, 12, 15 guys, to go up on October 11th through the 14th to go build some cabins or help at least get some cabins started, maybe some footings, some things like that. Listen, even for guys like me who can't swing a hammer, you can do something. And uh, you know, In fact, Mike and I and some other guys in here were part of the Philippines trip we took last summer. And so next week when I come back and talk on community, we're going to talk about the aspect of, hey, if, if, if this is the only time we get to see each other, we're not really 
getting to know each other. Boy, you really get to know some guys when you go on mission trips or on service <coughs> projects. And so, Mike, anything you want to add to yeah, that? Um, the date, I can look on the flyer that I passed around. Uh, it's October 10th, or actually 11th to the 14th. And uh, it's, it's kind of in the corner of North Carolina, southwest of Asheville, kind of where Tennessee and Georgia and South Carolina come together. And uh, it's, it, this camp's different because there's no devices. Everybody has to put away their phones and pads and everything. You see why I wanted to go to that camp? <laughs> yeah, it's just, and North Carolina's one of the most beautiful things that God has given us on this earth. I mean, the mountains and everything. You know, Wi-Fi North Carolina? <laughs> I don't know about Wi-Fi. You wouldn't want that, anyway, Joe. It's going to be a lot of like building log cabins and uh, digging puddings and those kind of things. So me and John Gilmore, we're going up Thursday and coming back Tuesday. So we'll be there the full four days. So I'm sure we'll be pretty zonked by the time we get back. But if you, you guys could come for any portion of that time, it'd be great. It's, the website's got a thing here where you can get on the website and register. So uh, I would encourage you if you guys could spare uh, some time at that time to do it. And they also have a weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And uh, this uh, Deerfoot, there's also a Deerfoot Lodge in New York that's been in business for like 90 years. And so I think that's a good model for the way they're setting this camp up. So I would definitely. I'd like for you know, some of you guys to you know, with us. Uh, be ready. And obviously, this is a Christ-centered camp. Okay? That, right. It is a Christ-centered camp. Yeah, so, I would, like I said, I would encourage you guys to go. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Doug's going to be able to make it right. But anyway, uh, just give us some thought and some prayer. And it is a great community time like, you know, Brad's been talking about. That's, that's what SWAT's about. Yeah. So. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Okay. So uh, I think John's email's on there if you're interested. Even just interested. Just shoot him an email. He can probably give you, fill you in a little bit more. If you don't have a copy of that, I've got plenty of them up here. There's also a prayer sheet going around. If you would, just mark your name off that you're here. And then if you have a prayer request, uh, please jot that down. And then we will uh, pray as we close out. If you would, any guests here today? we have any guests? Yes. It's my first time Frank invited. Shane Cormier. Shane, good to have you. Shane. I'm, I'm proud of you being here. I mean, obviously, yeah. being associated with Frank, that's a big deal. Got a lot of fans in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, before we uh, kind of get into the text, um, I'm going to ask you if, if you're able and willing to, we're going to go to our knees and pray. And then, Shane, we end our prayer as we get started with the Shema. And uh, if you would, just kind of repeat with me, okay? Heavenly Father, as we gather here this afternoon to enjoy fellowship and food, Lord, I'm reminded that you are the one that said uh, man cannot live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray today that as we open your word, as we look at what it looks like to make disciples, that this wouldn't fall on deaf ears, that we would not see it as a history lesson or an academic uh, lesson, but it would be applicable, that we would apply this to our lives, Father, for your glory. Father, just be with me. May your spirit illuminate the text. May your spirit teach us. And may we walk in obedience to it. Father, we pray for those who uh, were not able to be here today. We ask that you would uh, bring them back next week. And I pray, Lord, that uh, your words would just comfort us today. They would encourage us. They would convict us. And they would conform us to the image of Christ. And so, Lord, we... uh, We show our love for you. Hear, O Israel. Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. one. You shall love the Lord your God God. with all your heart, 
and with all your soul, and with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Now, once again, I'm glad you, you joined me. Yes, Dave. <laughs> These were questions asked at a college, a university. And, and then he said, how many of you opened that book that's so important to you today? One. Mm-hmm. Those, there's more teaching, I got this one. There's mm-hmm. more teaching in a little story like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> with that, I mentioned that a guy that I'm discipling on, a 74-year-old surgeon, just accepted Christ, and he said, how come you're all excited? How come you have a passion and none of these other guys do? Yeah. Hmm. So if you don't think people see... Yeah. Um, Amen. So, I'm sorry. Amen. No. <laughs> In fact, Dave, that really dovetails into what we're going to look at today. And again, some of you have heard me speak on this topic of discipleship. This is uh, probably what I'm most passionate about. Um, and I think it's, a, it's not an option. It's a command to make disciples. In fact, it's, it's Jesus' last commands to his disciples. Now, if you had one last message you were going to share with those you loved, what would it be? Let me tell you what it would be. It would be what you value the most. If it's the Jaguars, that's what you're going to talk about. If it's your kids, that's what you're going to talk about. I hope the last words on our lips are about Christ and about growing in His love and grace and mercy. You know, J.D. Greer, who's the pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, he said this, scientists and theologians agree Everything that is alive grows and reproduces. Everything that is alive and grows reproduces. How is it then that so many Christians are not growing and not reproducing spiritually? Those who grow reproduce, and those who reproduce grow. Dr. Tony Evans said this, to fail to make disciples is to fail to live yourself. To reproduce your faith in another man is the essence of the Christian life and Jesus is calling for every believer. If you've ever read uh, the book Radical by David Platt, I highly recommend it. He said this, disciple making is not a call for others to come to us to hear the gospel, but a command for us to go to others to share the gospel. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And in Paul's final letter, his final epistle before his death, he's writing from this damp dungeon to his true child in the faith, Timothy. Paul writes this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, You therefore, my son. Listen to the language he uses. You therefore, my son. It's intimate. It's relational. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these things to faithful men who will teach others also. 
The things which you've heard from me. Now just imagine, you're here at SWAT this week, you're here at SWAT next week, you're here at SWAT last week. The things you've heard from Doug in the presence of many witnesses, what do you do with that? You just go home and it sits in your journal? Well, Paul says, the things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to faithful men who will teach others also. It's this idea of duplication. You know, we live in a time right now where we, we, we have so many good teachers of the Bible. In, in, a, in an instant, we can download a podcast from John Piper, Tim Keller, Joby Martin, you know, it, it, just name it. Uh, Stephen Lawson, uh, you know, just name your favorite. And you can listen to some of the best teaching you will ever hear. <clears throat> the challenge isn't whether or not you can hear it. The challenge is what are you going to do with it? James reminds us, don't merely be a what? Hearer of the Word. Be a what? A be a doer of the Word. Don't merely be a listener of a podcast. Do it. Don't merely be a preacher or a teacher of the Word. Do it. Now, how do you know what to do unless you read it? preach it, hear it, teach it. We are to be under the Word, but you're to do something with that Word. And Paul is reminding Timothy, entrust what I've taught you to other men who will teach other men who will teach other men. By the way, every man needs a Paul to help them grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the same way, every man needs a Timothy to invest in to mentor, to serve, and to go deep with. For Timothy, I believe it was the key to his maturity. It was the key to his transformation, his sanctification. And for Paul, it was the key to fulfillment. I know men in this room who've spent a lot of time discipling men. Dave, Frank, just right off the bat. Is there not great fulfillment in making disciples? Man, it's one of the greatest things I've ever experienced in my life. Period. Absolutely one of the greatest. In fact, Paul describes the discipleship relationship well. He's writing to those in Rome. And listen to his words. He says that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, Paul was encouraged by the faith of those he poured into. Do you think Doug's ever encouraged when he comes in here and he sees you guys week after week after week and you begin to speak to Doug or to me or to somebody else about the maturity in your life since coming to Christ? Gil, I was thinking about Gil who's battling a little health scare. He and I sat right over here and he told me two years ago he would have jumped out of a window had he gotten the the news he got. You know what? That encourages me. I know it encourages Doug, and that's what Paul is saying. I want to be encouraged together with you while, while among you, each of us by the other's faith. In other words, Paul is encouraged when he sees Timothy maturing in his walk with Christ. Sharing with the church in Thessalonica, Paul says this, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. You know, I believe we live in a time where we, we would prefer to be isolated than to be in fellowship with others. That's not the language Paul uses. He longed to be with these people. And I don't know if you feel that way, but our tendency is to get isolated. David Gray and I were talking about it on the radio on Monday. Is our natural tendency is to get isolated, but we're not called to do that. We're called to be in fellowship, making disciples, being in community. My own personal journey, I'll share this quickly because I'm looking at the clock. I'll try and wrap it up on time, but the reason I am so passionate about discipleship is because I can look back over the course of my life since coming to Christ and I see one man after another man after another man who was willing to put aside things so that they could spend time with me. In 1981, it was the summer before my 
freshman year of college. Now just go back there with me, whether you went to college or not. I was about 18, 1981, do the math, I'm 56. Okay, I'll just help you there. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I got invited to a church function by my soon-to-be brother-in-law, Dr. Tim McKenzie. Tim has been our guest on SWAT radio a couple of times. He's the one who really Doug was challenged by to hide God's Word, to memorize God's Word. And so Tim was going to be my brother-in-law in in a short period of time, about six months. And so I looked up to Tim. He was older than me. I really liked being around him. And so he invites me to this event on a Friday night in the summer. Now, just full transparency, that wasn't the first thing I wanted to do on a Friday night in the summer at 18 years old. But because I loved him, I looked up to him, I said, I'll go. Interestingly enough, I went with my parents. I'm from Houston. This is in Houston, Texas. And if you've ever been to a high school football game in Houston, they build big stadiums in Houston and Texas, period. And so this was at Tully Stadium in Houston. I had no idea what I was going to. I grew up in the church. And uh, when we got there, I thought we were on time, but the place was packed with 30,000 people there. We couldn't find a seat. Ended up finding a seat on the very top row of that stadium. That night, for the very first time, I heard the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that the church I went to didn't preach the gospel or teach the gospel. But for the first time, I actually heard it. And I believe God opened my ears that night. I believe He opened my eyes. I believe He actually put a new heart in me that allowed me to receive the gospel. And when the invitation was given, I wasn't even familiar with what that was, but an invitation was given, by the way, that was put on by First Baptist Church in Houston. I, I was sharing with somebody who, who was. I, I'm the baby. I'm the, the youngest of three kids. And uh, I was always a follower. I just kind of, whatever everybody else was doing, that's what I was doing. And my natural MO when that invitation was given would have been to look around and see what other people were doing before I determined what I was going to do. I had an absolute out-of-body experience that night from the top row of Tully Stadium when they gave an invitation. Somehow my muscles reacted and I stood to my feet. I didn't look around and I began to walk down onto that field. If you've ever been to a crusade, Billy Graham, whatever, that, that's what it was, basically. I moved down onto that field and got closer to the stage. I never looked back, but as people started crowding in, I could feel people's hands on my back. And I thought, well, this is kind of weird. <laughs> we eventually got down and prayed. And after the prayer, I got up and I turned around and the people's hands that were on my back were my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and my brother-in-law. We all grew up in the church. Don't think growing up in the church makes you a Christian. Because I certainly grew up in the church and I had all the ornaments on my tree, if you know what I mean. And uh, fortunately, that was a Friday night. The very next day, Saturday morning, I get a call from my brother-in-law who said, hey, I'm coming by to get you. We're going to go grab breakfast together. And for the next 10 years, all through college, I went away to college, but we spoke at least once or twice a week. But for the next 10 years, my brother-in-law discipled me. He poured into me like you would pour into your son. And uh, he really gave me a love for God's Word. He gave me a love for opening up the text and mining the Scriptures. He used to tell me, don't be a spoon-fed Christian, Brad. Listen, we, our churches are full of people who are spoon-fed believers. They don't know how to study the Bible. They don't know barely how to open it, Dave, to your point. He gave me a love for God's Word. He gave me a love to hide God's Word in my heart and to memorize it and to meditate on it. And as a result, it gave me a love to teach, to not only to read it and then just be passionate about telling others about it. And I'm tremendously, eternally grateful for Tim's sacrifice that he made in my life. Several years later, I ended up coming across a a, a friend of mine, actually a guy that I knew in college, His name was Greg, and Greg and I knew each other in college at TCU, but I didn't want to know Greg well because Greg was a hellraiser, okay? Any of you like that at one point? 
Man, Greg was the guy. He will never come to Christ. <laughs> Ten years out of college, I run into Greg, and he begins to share his testimony with me. And I thought, Greg, stop for just a second. Are you telling me that you're a Christian? He goes, amen, brother. <laughs> I went, wow. Greg and I began to meet every Friday morning at his church, which, quite frankly, was a little different than my church. It was a, a bit more on the charismatic side. It's fine. I just said, you know, I'll go with you. Let's meet. He said, we meet every Friday morning just for prayer. It's not even a Bible study. It's just prayer. I showed up the first time. It was 100 men showed up. <clears throat> what if we got 100 men every Friday got together just to pray? Boy, it's needed bad. But interestingly enough, after our Bible study, I mean, after our prayer time together, uh, Greg and I would go grab breakfast together every Friday morning. And about four weeks into us getting together every week, Greg said to me, he said, hey, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this. Would you be willing to be my accountability partner? Now, mid-90s, some of you guys remember that, Promise Keepers was really big. <clears throat> and uh, that was a buzzword for Promise Keepers, accountability. And of course, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's be accountability partners. Well, his definition of accountability was quite a bit different than mine. Because before we got up, he took out a business card, and he wrote on the back of the business card, Kelly, and put a phone number. And he slid over to me, and he said, Brad, that's my wife. That's her phone number. You have the right to call her whenever you want to ask her two questions. How's Greg doing as a husband? And how's Greg doing as a dad? Now, just put yourself in that position. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And as a recovering people pleaser, I got a business card out. I wrote Vicky's name on the back of that business card and her phone number and slid it over to her, to him. And you know what was going through my mind? I hope he never calls her. <laughs> you laugh. You may be the same way. Would you want somebody calling your wife to ask you how you're doing as a husband or a dad? And as I walked out of there, I got to be honest, I was like, man, I hope he doesn't call her. Fast forward about eight months, I get a call, I go into my business, place of business that I owned, and I get a phone call. Literally, it's almost like I walked in and the phone was ringing, and I pick up the phone and it's Greg. And Greg says, it wasn't his usual happy greeting. It was like, hey brother, I need you to come by my office. Now. I said, Greg, is everything okay? He said, no, everything's not okay. I just got off the phone with your wife. Boy, you talk about just like conviction. That very morning, I'd had an argument with my wife. And I know you guys have probably never done this, but I said things I shouldn't have said. And it crushed her spirit. She was broken. And we have a way of doing that sometimes, don't we? Or is that just me? I, have, I, have, I know just the right buttons to push, just the right words to crush that spirit. Coincidence that he called her that morning? No. It's God's sovereignty. I said, I'll be right down. He officed about two, two miles from me. I locked the door, walked down there, drove down there, walked into his office, and he's right there at the front gate, you know, there to greet me. Give me a big hug. We sat in his office for about an hour, prayed together. I cried, you know, tears like I hadn't cried in a long time. And before we were done, Greg said this. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed over your wife? Okay, full transparency. I'm already busted. <laughs> I can't mask this. I can't remember the last time I did that, Greg. And he said, okay, thanks for being honest. I want you to do me a favor. For the next 30 days, I don't want you to just pray for your wife. I want you to actually go over to her and lay your hands on her and pray for her. I thought, wow, that's pretty serious. Can I do that for 30 days? Could you do that for 30 days? Yeah, because I committed. I'm going to do this for 30 days. Now, if you haven't been to the gym in six years or so or 10 years or even six months, you go to the gym, it's a little weird. It's a little awkward. You're going to be a little painful. And I remember the very next morning waking up. My wife was still in bed, still asleep, or I thought. 
And I walked over and I laid my hand on her shoulder and I just prayed for her. It was weird. It was awkward for me because I hadn't done that. It wasn't anything great theological in-depth thing. Walked out the door, went to work. <clears throat> Later that afternoon, she called me and said, thanks for praying for me today. I don't say this with any sense of pride, but for 24 years, every day, that's what I've done for my wife. My wife has been one of the greatest influences in my transformation as a man, as a husband and a dad. And I'm eternally grateful for Greg putting his finger in my chest and calling me out. If you don't have a Paul in your life who's willing to do that, you better find one. And then you better find a Timothy you can do that with. That's not common in our, in our day, is it? Anybody else have, have a Greg like that in your life? Who's willing to put his finger in your chest, not literally, but figuratively, spiritually? I moved to Jacksonville in 1997, in December of 97, to start a company called The Mattress Firm with a couple of Jaguar football players. I had no idea. I was only intending to be here about 12, month, 12 to 18 months. That was December of 97. <clears throat> Let me do the math for you. That's 21 years I've been here. God had plans for me here in Jacksonville. Sold that business, started another one, sold that one. Anyway, all that to say that when I got here to Jacksonville, probably about a year after being here, something was missing in my life. I was going to church, I was active, I was doing all these things, but I just was missing something. My wife said, why don't you reach out to somebody at church? Really? Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Who am I going to reach out to? I didn't know anybody. I was so busy building a business, I hadn't built relationships. And there were two guys that I had noticed from a distance that were elders at CFC, Christian Family Chapel, where we had been attending for about a, about a year, loved the church. And uh, two guys, Frost Weaver and Bud Toole. Didn't know those guys from Adam. Interesting, whole other story. But um, I had noticed them from a distance. And I got their phone numbers, and I called them. And I said, hey, Frost, you don't know me. I don't know you. Would you be willing to meet with me once a month for breakfast? I'll buy he said, absolutely. I remember the first place we met, met IHOP on Bay Meadows, sitting in a booth with Frost Weaver looking across, and he says, how can I help you? <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I know you're further along the road than I am, and I need some wisdom. I need, some, I need a man in my life who's willing to speak into my life. I, I don't want to talk about football. I don't want to talk about sports. Quite frankly, I don't want to talk about my business. I want to grow in my relationship with Christ. I was a dad, as a husband, all those things. And I met with Frost for probably 12, 12 years, uh, once, once, a, once a month. Bud Toole. Bud and I used to meet it over by his office at Bono's Barbecue for lunch. Same thing. And uh, those two men have challenged me over the years in a significant way. Guys like Doug McCary. I've known Doug for 21 years. Met Doug when I first moved to Jacksonville. By the time I got here, he moved to Texas, where I was from. And then we later connected seven, eight years ago. And uh, Doug has been a great encouragement to me. He's been a great Paul to me. And of course, my wife and my children. I only share that with you to, to help you understand the value of discipleship. You are not going to grow in Christ-likeness alone. You're going to need people in your life. My children, if you listen to SWAT radio yesterday, I had my son, my oldest son, on with me. You know, Vody Bauckham, one of my favorite preachers, says, uh, you don't measure the spiritual maturity of a child outside the home. You measure the spiritual maturity of a child inside the home. Harry, is that not true? Listen, my kids, I got five kids. I got three grandkids now. <coughs> my kids were the best performers. Funny, two of them are actually performers now. But they were so good outside the home. But it was so funny how when they would come in the home, they're different people. Well, what's... What's performing and what's not? I took it a whole other step further. Don't measure the spiritual maturity of a man outside the home. Measure it inside the home. Because you know what? I'm a good performer. Boy, I got my Bible under my arm. I can go into church. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm great. Highly praised and favored and all that you know, language. Meanwhile, I go back home and I'm a, I'm a grump sometimes. I tell this story because I think it speaks to the reality of my own life, and maybe you can identify with it. I went to a, a um, corporate event 
one of these big corporate events where they give away all these awards and stuff. And two people got up on stage and began to talk about their boss. Well, I'm looking up at them, and they're two of my employees. And they're just praising me. It was awesome. <laughs> you ever been in that position? Man, I'm telling you, I will steal glory about as fast as anybody. And I'm sitting back going, wow, I guess I won something. <laughs> and about the time they were finished, they invited me to come up on the stage and receive this little plaque. And it was no big deal. But what was interesting is the look on my wife's face as I came back to the table to sit down. So I win this award, and now I'm coming back to the table, and my wife's got this look on her like, <laughs> aren't you something? <laughs> In fact, she leaned over and said, congratulations. About three or four weeks later, if, if you're like me, I'd take these things, and a lot of things end up on my nightstand. And my wife hates clutter. Well, that thing sat on my nightstand for about four weeks and then one morning as I'm about to go out the door she hands me this plaque with you know and she says hey would you take this to your office because the guy who won that doesn't live here Whoa. <laughs> now you may think that's tough hey listen I am incredibly grateful for a wife who wants me to look like Christ not just out there but at home. Second Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go there. This is going to be one of the fastest lessons you've ever had. And if you want to jot this down, this is one of my favorite texts um, when we talk about discipleship. And there are seven aspects that I'm going to pull out of this text. In fact, you don't really have to pull them. They're just right there for you to see. Discipleship requires that we pray, number one. Number two, that we engage. Number three, that we affirm. Number four, that we encourage. Number five, that we go in His power. Number six, that we preach and teach unashamedly. And then seven, that we guard the good deposit. Number six, preach and teach truth unashamedly. Yes. Pray, engage, affirm, Encourage, go in his power, preach and teach unashamedly. And then seven, that you guard the good deposit. And I'll touch on that real quick. Okay? Again. Yeah, guard the good deposit. And this is for discipleship. Yeah, <laughs> discipleship requirements. If you're going to make disciples, I'm going to make disciples. Those are the things we're going to look at. So if you would, let's look at that passage. Let me read through it real quick. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, and I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, <clears throat> and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, 
for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I, I, I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. <clears throat> Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. So let's look at this. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. If we're going to make disciples, prayer is a requirement. People ask me all the time, Brad, how do you find your Timothys? I pray about them. I pray that I will see men and I'll ask the right questions. Are you being discipled? That's a pretty quick one. Are you being discipled? (laughs) It's amazing how many guys look at you and go, what do you mean? (laughs) How is that possible? Are you being discipled? So discipleship requires prayer. And I think it's one of the greatest privileges we have in making disciples is that of prayer. Paul prayed for Timothy. What's it say there? He prayed for Timothy night and day. Anybody you're praying for night and day? Might be something we want to do. Verse 4, look at it. As I remember your tears. I love that language. How would he remember his tears? Anybody ever teared up in front of you? I've probably done it before you guys. You remember it. I remember... Your tears, Timothy. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He didn't long to email him. He didn't long to text him. He didn't long to FaceTime him or Facebook him. He longed to see him. Discipleship requires that we engage on a personal level. Discipleship doesn't take place long distance. Howard Hendricks said this, you can impress from a distance, but you can only impact up up close. You can impress from a distance, but you can only impact up close. Paul longed for Timothy to visit him, to get face to face with him. Verse 5, Paul affirms Timothy's sincere faith. Where did his faith first, it's that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I love this, I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy wasn't a Christian because his mother and grandmother were Christians. He's just saying there is a legacy of faith that's been coming down from Lois and Eunice. We must affirm those we disciple. They're not perfect, but as we disciple, number one, our our wife, our wives, our children, those who God has placed in our path, affirm their faith. Tell them, hey, I see this in you, and it encourages me, and I want to affirm that in you. Paul rejoiced over Timothy's spiritual legacy. Here's my question to you. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Your faith won't necessarily be the faith of your children. But what kind of legacy are you leaving? Listen, I spent years out discipling everybody I could outside of my home only to realize, wait a minute, (laughs) I got no business discipling anybody outside my home until I do it at home first. And by the way, that took God breaking me over a daughter who had gone wayward, and I had to literally pick up the phone, drive to Gainesville, the University of Florida, and take her to lunch and absolutely confess to her that I am deeply troubled and sorry that I dropped the ball. David, you and I I think you and I were talking about it yesterday or a couple of days ago. I know my son and I were talking about it. It's very easy in our culture to hand your children to someone else to disciple. And God bless our youth pastors that are out there and those guys. But listen, it's not their job to disciple my kids. It's their job to come alongside me as I do that. Some of you may be discipling grandkids. Anybody? Grandkids? Okay. Listen, we need to make disciples. We need to do it around those that God has sovereignly placed in our path. Because of Timothy's sincere faith, Paul reminds 
Timothy in verse 6. Look at it. To fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy not to neglect the use of his God-given abilities for the service of Christ. When you came to Christ with that, as the Holy Spirit came into you, He sealed you, but He also brought with you, brought into you some gifts, some talents. Some of you, all of you, in fact, all of us in this room have unique gifts, unique skills that God actually planted in you. Now, I think there's a responsibility for us to hone those skills and hone those talents. People say, I'm a golfer. You know, Tiger Woods was just God-given ability. No question. But he beat about 1,500 golf balls a day from the time he was about five years old. Did he have some talent, some gifts? Yeah, absolutely. But we are to work those gifts, and that's what Timothy and Paul is saying. Fan into flame the gift of God. This was Paul's concern. He wanted Timothy to keep active, keep teaching, keep preaching. I love this uh, quote by General Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army. He sent this message to those under him. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace fire knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. I love to have fires in my backyard in the fall and the winter. But if I'm not out there fanning that flame, it's going to go out. And it's going to go out in your life as well. We are to fan the flame of the gospel in our lives. <clears throat> Here's a question for you. What, what, uh, what flame are you fanning in your own life or in the life of others that God has put into your life? And it saddens me a great deal that many in the church today are far more passionate about politics than they are about the gospel. Listen, politics won't change if you don't change the heart of man. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get involved in politics. We do. But listen, if you're talking more about politics than you are about Jesus Christ, I'll just challenge you. What are you feeding on? I say this a lot. You've probably heard me say it on the radio. You're being discipled right now. Where, where are you being discipled? Listen, we, we have unlimited information that we can get to like that. When I meet with a man for the very first time, these are things I ask him. Three things. What are you reading? What are you reading? What are you listening to? And what are you watching? Because that tells me who's discipling him. Most of the time I find out it's Fox News or Spotify or Pandora. It's not the Bible. And it, it, listen, it may even be a great author. C.S. Lewis, or Charles Spurgeon, great men of God. But your first priority, your first nourishment ought to come from the Word of God. Not from a podcast or some other book. I'm a reader. I love to read. I probably read a book a week. I love it. But I don't neglect this. And I want to encourage you, don't be neglected because you're going to be discipled somewhere. Wherever you're, being, wherever you're spending the most time is where you're being discipled. Is this, is this tough? Is this hard on you guys? Yes. It was on me. Just open confession here. <clears throat> In verse 7, Paul reminds Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy was struggling with being timid. Of, and Paul reminds him that God gave him a spirit of power. Listen, if Doug and I got thrown in prison next week, would you guys be as bold about proclaiming the gospel, knowing we're in prison for proclaiming the gospel? Or would you maybe go, Ooh, maybe I better be careful. Okay, Paul is telling Timothy, don't be timid. You're not going in your own power. Go in God's power. It's, God, it's a good reminder that God will never commission you to a task without the power needed to accomplish that task. Like Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, one of my favorite verses, right after He said, go make disciples, He then follows that up with, I'll be with you always. That's a great reminder. 
And writing to those in Corinth, Paul said, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but, it, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. You know, we are surrounded by so many good communicators that we tend to hear those guys and go, Wow, I can't do that. <laughs> well, Paul said, Listen, I didn't come to you with words of wisdom or some great vocabulary. You are all teachers and preachers of the gospel. It doesn't matter whether you can, you know, you can be from South Georgia and do this stuff. You know, I, I just firmly, firmly believe that. <clears throat> I know. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And because of this power, look at verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, Timothy, you're filled with the Spirit. Don't be ashamed to share in both the proclamation of the gospel and the suffering of the gospel. I firmly believe in our lifetime, we're going to suffer for the gospel. I just believe it. I'm not a doomsdayer. I just firmly believe if we are genuinely proclaiming the gospel, we're going to experience some suffering. In verse 9, Paul reminds us that it's God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You've heard this quote before, I'm sure. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. We're saved by grace. We're called by grace. We're equipped by grace for a purpose. And that purpose is to make disciples. Which now, verse 10, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, <clears throat> who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Look at verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Paul is telling Timothy, you're not simply called to salvation in Christ. You are called to preach and teach the gospel. And many in our, world, in our day believe that our, our calling is simply to salvation. No, our calling is salvation, but it's sanctification in us and in others. And Paul is simply saying, preach and teach. You're not simply called to be saved, you're called to teach. And that's true of you and I. We're called to preach and teach the gospel. Verse 12, <clears throat> Paul says, I'm not ashamed. You can highlight that, uh, underline it, uh, do whatever you need to do. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, great language there, I'm convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. There is so much packed into that one verse. What is Paul not ashamed of? Let me ask you this. Have you ever believed in something so convincingly people couldn't shut you up? Dave Wilbert, kind of to your point. You ever been so convinced of something you couldn't be shut up? <clears throat> Bubba, you and I were talking about it back there. Listen, I can argue with the best. I will not argue unless I am fully convinced. Boy, I'm surprised how many arguments I have with people. But I am truly convinced, as Paul said. And, I, and therefore... Because I believe and I'm convinced, I am not ashamed of this. Paul says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that He, not me, He is able. Verse 13, Paul instructs Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words. Great, great words, sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I think, must have felt the temptation to modify his message. Paul urged Timothy to continue preaching the same message he heard from Paul. Boy, we are so easily taken off track. We're so scared. Boy, if I preached that last week, I had to go over to the west side and teach a Bible study over there. And we're going through Romans. And I got assigned Romans chapter 9. Now, I would have loved to hop, skipped, and jump through that text. But what Paul is saying, don't do that. Listen, you ever, you ever heard an expository teacher, he's going through some passage and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, 
you missed about seven verses because he didn't want to deal with it. Listen, this text is challenging. Go read Romans 9. If you can come away with it convinced, come tell me about it. Okay? Well, yeah, eight's the good news. Nine is like, you know, Paul just body slams you. And here's the thing. We were talking about it. In Corinthians, Paul says, you see things dimly as in a mirror. But one day, you will see things clearly. My wife has one of those makeup mirrors. Any, any, wives, any of your wives have those makeup mirrors that light up and they magnify? Look inside one of those things. It'll scare you. you know, man, I, I got things. Listen, that's the reality that as we look at the text, sometimes there's going to be things that are a mystery. I love the words of Job who said, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? In fact, in, in Job 5, he says, Let us stop and consider God's wonders. For He performs miracles that cannot be counted and works that cannot be fathomed. Listen, if you think you can explain Romans chapter 9, good for you. But I think there are going to be things we just can't really explain. They're a mystery. But one day, Paul reminds us, we'll see things clearly. I'm looking forward to that day. People say, I'm going to ask God about this. No, you're not. You're going to fall flat on your face and worship a holy God. Because as, as Paul says in Romans 9, does the potter say to the clay, what are you making? Not a chance. Not a chance. Finally, <clears throat> verse 14. Did I miss anything? No, okay. Verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Paul tells Timothy, to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what is the good deposit that's been entrusted to you and to me and to Timothy? It's the treasure of the good news, the gospel. That's what's been deposited in you. Where your treasure is, there your what will? There your heart will be also. Do we treasure this right here? And I think that's why Doug wanted to teach on the first week is God's Word. We don't worship God's Word, but we treasure God's Word because it should be getting deposited in you. The Gospel has been deposited in you. And Jesus' final commands to His disciples and His daily command to you and me is go make disciples and teach them from here. Don't give them your opinion. Teach the Bible. Teach the Bible. How do you do it? By the Spirit of God and the truth of His Word. Joe White, in closing, said this, Our assignment from God is to love one another, connect to one another, restore one another, and give life truths to one another. A disciple-maker fulfills this high calling as he engages in a man's life, provides an example for the man to follow, and teaches the truth from the Word and how to apply this truth in his daily life. Two questions just to leave you with. Is there a Paul in your life? Is there a Paul in your life? Is he encouraging you? Is he challenging you? And then the second question is, is there a Timothy in your life? Now you know, look around this room. There's some, some guys with some gray hair, some no hair. Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. Here's what I look for. Three things. Are they willing? Are they wis do they have wisdom? Okay? Do they have wisdom? Are they willing and are they available? Okay? You want to wrap that up?
guys remember John Shear. He he met with me regularly yeah. two and a half years. Yeah. Here's here's what I've experienced, and when I'm done. I'm going to have Chuck close us in prayer. Uh, several years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, was, I was leading. <clears throat> I was teaching a Sunday school class at church. I was serving as a deacon. I was uh, had been asked to do some counseling for people, so I got trained in counseling, and uh, and then I was doing a couple of small groups with guys. <clears throat> here's what I discovered. It took me a while. I'm a slow learner. But uh, every Monday, so I taught a group of guys early, early, early on a Friday morning. And then I taught another group of guys on Monday night. And we would have small groups, four or five guys. And then we had some great discussions around the table <coughs> as we studied the Word together. Almost every single week, as I made my way out to the parking lot to get in my car, one of those guys would say, hey, Brad, you got a second? You might as well have a flag that says, I'm in trouble. Because at my car, we would begin to talk about things that guy wasn't willing to share in a small group. Now, here's the truth. This is important. Discipleship takes place in a number of settings. You go to church on Sunday, good for you. That's a form of discipleship. You're being taught God's Word. I don't know how many of you have a very close relationship with your pastor. Likely, very few of us. Is your pastor ever saying, hey, how are you loving your wife? Not, not many of them are doing that. So then, where do you go? Okay, well, maybe join a smaller group like this. But even here, one of the guys this morning at the, at the beach Bible study said, man, I would love, in light of what you were just talking about, for us to develop something that goes deeper than what we experience here. Because <coughs> listen, I could have wrapped up 15 minutes ago, probably 30 minutes ago, and we could have just broken apart and kind of had some discussions. But the reality is, my experience says, there's things in your life you may not share with four or five guys, but you may share it with one. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, how many men? One man sharpens another. Harry? You know, when you look throughout the Bible, you see these examples of guys like David or guys like Abraham or guys like uh, Samuel who were great men used by God. They were pretty bad dads. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do a great job of discipling the next generation. And um, I can remember my wife taking a two-by-four to the back of my head and saying to me, you know, where are you spending all your time? And I tell her, and she said, okay, so where did Jesus spend all his time? It was the people he lived with. Well, who are your disciples? And it was like the call back to going, if you do all that other stuff well and you don't do this well, then what have you really done? Because everything comes out of that foundation and grows out from that. I, I, the, uh, the statement that you made about measuring children at home, we tell our kids, you're as much a Christian as you are at home. Yeah. Well, the point on you're as good a dad as you are at home um, stings uh, both ways. Trust me. I, I see. It's like Bodie Bauckham says, uh, I, I didn't write the mail, I'm just delivering it. Yeah, okay. so, <laughs> right, I was rubbing my butt. All, all things there, uh, full <laughs> transparency. It's like, it's like I think what Doug was after last summer. Right, with the battle buddies yeah. type thing, getting guys one-on-one -on -one with each other. And you know, we had that workbook and everything. You don't even have to do the workbook necessarily. I think it's just important, you know, to have guys, you know, one guy maybe that you can talk to or see regularly and, and you know, that's the idea. Listen, here, here's the reality. If, if my wife got together with your wife, in about 10 minutes, they're spilling their guts and they're just crying together. You and I may have to get together for six or eight months. <laughs> or years. Or years. <laughs> yeah. Just start, Dave, to your point. It's, listen, I have discipled through books of the Bible. I've discipled through materials that have been printed. Here, here's the thing. Just get together with another guy. Don't talk about sports. Don't talk about all that stuff. There's plenty of guys in his life you can talk about that with. Talk about something deeper than that. Okay? How's he doing as a dad? How are you doing as a husband? How are you doing in your neighborhood? Have you met any of your neighbors lately? I just found out my neighbor directly across the street just had a baby two weeks ago. I didn't know it. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I can make all sorts of excuses, but I've been home from dropping my daughter off at college for almost three weeks. I, certainly, I could have found time to go do something. And he just moved in about a year ago. So here's an opportunity. There's opportunities all around for us to go engage. Again, that's what's what you see in that text. 
Paul wanted to be with Timothy. It wasn't about at a distance. He wanted to be with him. So, thank you guys. A little over. Chuck, do you mind? Uh, so next week we're going to talk about community. I hope you'll come back. Hope I didn't scare you off. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your word, for this opportunity to come together and gather as men. Uh, we're just so thankful for uh, everybody's presence here. We're thankful for Brad uh, bringing the message. Um, boy, are we humbled by uh, by some of the message today. Uh, maybe it's just me, but uh, very humbling to hear about uh, how are you being as a father, as a husband. Um, so thankful for... Uh, for those words. Uh, may we be present, may we be engaged, um, at the very least, may we just show up. Um, that's, that's, all, that's all you ask at times, and we just pray that um, those opportunities will exist. May you show them to us. Uh, may we pray for them. Uh, may we just go out and, uh, and find the opportunities uh, to be the Paul or to be the Timothy. Um, but, uh, but just to hear that word is, is so encouraging, Lord. Um, we just are so thankful for that. We, may we all go in uh, peace today. May we glorify you in our words and our actions. Jesus, we do love you indeed. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.